church and you say well the band i forgot my bible tonight well i'm not looking out counting and but i i encourage you and i know very well and i have um some electronic devices as well but there is nothing like bringing a hard copy of your king james bible to church and i encourage you to do so with that please and uh, all you all you uh, little ones up here tonight malachi you in charge of the first row kira you're in charge of the second row and uh not a chance. Miss, Miss, Miss Chloe Miss Chloe's in charge of the next row. Miss Linda was there being her assistant. And then Kane, you in charge of Miss Christie, okay? All right, he's shaking his head. Yeah, he's got it down pat. And I appreciate Cowboy Kane being here as well. And I got a lively bunch up front. So if they take off running, I'll take off chasing and We'll be back in just a minute, I promise, okay? But I appreciate them being in their place and uh, being here tonight. And uh, it's good. I had, I had one. He's not here and uh, Nixon's not here tonight, is he? He sat beside me last Sunday, and Brother Brian was geared up and preaching. He punched me in the stomach, kind of hurt. He said, man, I'm starving. And I said, well, man, I ain't got no food in my pocket. Christy hoards it out. I can't got nothing. So I said, you, oh, you be still, and I'll be all right. We'll get you some food afterwards. But he did. He was, he was adamant. He said, man, I'm hungry. And uh, my buffet inside my coat was out that night. So you, you pray for me that I bring better snacks to church, I guess. Either way. But Mark chapter number 11, we started this morning, and I've got the green light tonight to go to part number two of this morning, and I, I, I encourage you, and uh, not because I'm preaching, but if you know somebody that, that's lost, I did my absolute best this morning just to preach it as simple as I can, and, uh, but man, it, it, let me tell you, almost, we looked at the word almost this morning, and we're going to look at it again tonight, but when you're dealing with salvation, almost is not going to cut it, and uh, what blows my mind is somebody even said, it was either Miss Mary or Miss, uh, maybe Miss Anita that left this morning, she said, I don't know why anybody would want to chance it and I said you're exactly right and uh, you see the reality is kind of flashing back to this morning we're on the winning side either way let me give you a, let me give you if you turn into Mark chapter number 11 most of you are already there but for the sake of you that's maybe looking up it's in the New Testament Mark chapter number 11 one of the gospels but think about it if Christianity this is how someone put it to me before and this is why it's so plain and simple to me if I let's just say for instance if I'm wrong okay if all that we're preaching brother Dalton is false and there is nothing after death if i'm wrong the worst thing that can happen to me is that i'm buried and nothing ever happens to my body it's done but what if i'm right the alternative is the other side loses a whole lot more than i have so i like picking winner winning teams brother josh either way so the way i look at it is i'm a winner either way because their best is my worst so if you're here tonight and you're contemplating whether or not to give your life to christ can i tell you you've got nothing to fear you got nothing to worry about because you're a winner Either way, and I know that we're true, and uh, don't take that out of context and say, Brother Brandon said there's a possibility that we're wrong, because I know we're not, but I'm thankful that the, the Bible gives us the assurance. So we looked at some biblical absolutes, and just to kind of give you a, a brief overview of the first page I talked about this morning, that word absolute simply means something that is not dependent upon external conditions for existence. It's something that it simply is all the time, regardless of what's going on. Absolutes have been described in mathematics. We covered that this morning. Some, some realities, they're also, they, they can be harsh. They're the cornerstone of our life. And we know that if we break the law, we're going to pay the consequence. Now, how much consequence that is is up to uh, our, our judicial thing. But let me tell you, there's, there's something wrong. If you were to steal, if you were to, to, 
cheat, if you were to do something and you get caught, there is a consequence, and that is an absolute. Absolutes can be harsh. We all know we're all born, and we all one day will die, but there's some absolutes in our life that will not waver, even in a wavering world, they'll always be constant, and I'm thankful for that. It's almost like watching the ocean. I can't imagine how a God that's that, that big takes up that much water and makes it stop and go back out without taking. I understand you can cause things to happen. I understand you can build levees, and that's your own fault for building into what God created a boundary for, but there's some absolutes that until God is ready for them to change, they will never change. We blow your mind. You realize that there's some stars that are in the exact same spot that God created them to be in thousands and thousands of years ago. Now, how is that possible? Now, we know there's some that shoot around. We know planets may shift, and we know we're, we're rotating, obviously, but there's some things that God puts in a place, and it is a permanent, and that's what we're studying. But we looked at some biblical absolutes, and I told you the first one, the first biblical absolute we looked at is this statement, almost will never be enough. And I told you there was three instances where the word almost will never work in a sentence, and the first one being, I almost got saved. We looked at that this morning by the help of God, and I tell you, it's the truth. It don't matter what you do in life, if you almost win, or if you almost make a million dollars, or if you almost own a bank, or if you almost get married, or you almost get a girlfriend, or whatever, you're almost are, that at the end of your life, one thing that cannot be there is I almost got saved, because almost getting saved is not getting saved at all. I heard Pastor Gammons preach a message one time on things that are different or not the same, and he's a wonderful, man, he just can't miss it. I hear him all the time, and I'm thinking, why didn't I? I looked at him sometime, Brother Mark Stroud said this, he said, he makes me, real, makes me think I never read my Bible ever when he preaches, because I never see what he sees. And that's right, things that are different. This world is not the same as, 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 as or we're not the same of this world. Heaven is not the same as hell, and there is a constant personal uh, obvious decision to choose heaven. We looked at that this morning. So, number one, almost, or part one of this series, almost will never be sufficient uh, in the statement, I almost got saved. But tonight, I want to look at the second statement to where the word almost will never work. You say, Brother Brandon, what's more important than salvation? Or there's not. This morning probably was the most important message out of this whole series, if God allows me to go to the third one on Wednesday night or next Sunday or whenever. But the, there's nothing more important than making sure that there's no almost in your salvation. But secondly, and probably most commonly uh, uh, hindered in our life, or Brother James most commonly missed in our life, is the second one. And I'm guilty of it, and we may get to that part of my story tonight. We may not, I'm not sure. But the second statement is this, almost will never be enough. And this statement, notice this, I almost said I was sorry. I almost said I was sorry. You say, with well, the Brandon apologizing is nothing compared to salvation, and you are correct. But can I tell you, in our Christian life, especially as a Christian with a Christian testimony, saying, I've almost said I was sorry, especially after it's too late and they're laying in front of me in a casket, or I never get the opportunity to see them again, or maybe it's the too far gone, but looking back and saying, you know what, I had an opportunity, I had an opportunity to make things right, but I almost said I was sorry. Just as the same as I said this morning, Brother Matt, as the series or, or the thought of I almost am saved, the almost that I'm saying I'm sorry will never be enough. As I said, while nothing ever will compare to the assurance of our salvation, one of the most tragic things in life is waiting too long to say I'm sorry. 
Pastor Gammons, again, in our revival, gave a great illustration of that woman that was at the nursing home. Any of you here that night? And she called out her son's name, looking for him every day. And at the funeral here, her son came down the aisle hollering his mother's name. But the purpose of that story and what got on hold of my heart and even helped summon this message and this outline is simply this. Don't wait too late to say, I'm sorry. I left to up that house that day. Malachi was with me in the car. Miss Christie, I think she drove separately that night. But when we left that night, I didn't make it to the stop sign up here before I had to call my mom and my dad. And Malachi, you say, you're a grown man. He saw me weep on the phone with my parents because let me tell you, there's some things that need to be taken care of on this side of eternity to make things right going into eternity. Now, number one is salvation, but number two is that statement I almost said, I'm sorry. Mark chapter number 11, if you begin reading in verse number 22, we know that there is some, uh, Bartimaeus has just received his sight in the previous chapter, and there's some other things going on, and Jesus has purified the temple, and there's, he's moving in mighty works, but he gets to the prayer of faith here in uh, verse number 22 of Mark chapter number 11. The Bible says, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Hath faith in God. For verily I say unto thee, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now verse 24, one of the most, un, most, most uh, I guess you would say, misinterpreted verses in the Bible, says, Therefore I say unto whatsoever thing, or whatso things you, soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Now, there is some stipulations to that verse. It does not say, well, the Bible says, if I want them and I pray and I ask for them, God's going to give me. Well, can I tell you, growing up, I prayed for a million dollars several times, and unless somebody knows something that I don't have, I'm not a millionaire and wouldn't want to know what to do with it if I was a millionaire. So that verse is not, hey, God gives me whatever I want, whenever I want. We must understand that it's in his will, but also the next verse sets some prerequisites that most of the time keeps us from getting what we desire. Verse number 25 says this, And when you stand praying, what's the next word? Forgive, if you all have all against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you, you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That has nothing to do with salvation, but it has to do with after salvation, having forgiveness. We teach our kids back in the Sunday school classroom, one of the things that we're dealing with this year and probably will be part of our yearly study is the word prayer. We're dealing with 100 words right now that will radically change your prayer life, 100 words that need to be part of your daily prayer life, but prayer isn't in order. And many of you say, Brother Brandon, you can't tell me how to pray and you're right, and I don't know the perfect way to pray, and I know how the Bible says to pray, and I know some things, but I do know this is a proven fact that when we pray, we ought to ask for forgiveness, we ought to give thanks we ought to ask for forgiveness. We ought to give thanks. I'll tell all the other ones, ask, 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 ask. And, but we also give forgiveness, and we also ask for forgiveness. We give thanks, but forgiving others, we're instructed here in Mark chapter number 11, must be part of our prayer life. If I go into my prayer closet and I have alt with Petey, and that's happened sometimes in my life, or maybe not often in my life, but I go in there, if that's not made right, it's going to hinder me from getting a hold of God. And sometimes I may just be praying for my food, but there's other times, Petey, that I'm praying for something that is of the utmost important, and I cannot allow a strife between me and him 
to hinder my prayer life. Now, the blessing of preaching this tonight is to my knowledge, I don't have aught with anybody, hopefully, here tonight, so I have complete liberty. Now, if you have something against me, we'll talk about it after service, and we'll try to get it fixed, and the in-laws don't count, Brother Dalton, so don't, cross, don't look at me like that. But I'm saying outside of my family, if you have aught with me, I don't need to know about it right now, but right now I can preach this openly because I'm telling you, the Bible says, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, your Father also in heaven may forgive you, your trespasses but if you forgive neither if you do not forgive neither with your father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses they give you two truths leading into this about unforgiveness and this may blow your mind but this is just real and that's what i want to be is real two truths about unforgiveness number one truth that i hear often when dealing with someone about forgiveness is this statement brother wayne i have a right to hold a grudge I have a right to hold a grudge. And can I tell you, and this is going to blow your mind, you probably do. You probably have been done wrong, and you probably have legal ground or, or an actual case to hold a grudge. You were wrong. If I were to ask you today, how many? I remember Brother Tony Hudson saying one time, Mr. Savannah, he's going to get church, a, a T-shirt made for his church. He says, I was hurt in church. Everybody's hurt in church. If you've never heard Brother Tony, I don't know if you should look him up and listen to him or not, but either way, if you can handle it, just buckle up. But he says, I'm going to get some t-shirts with my picture on it for my church that says, I was hurt in church. He said, what do you want, a trophy? He said, everybody gets hurt in church. That's exactly right. All of us, somebody has said something, maybe they didn't even mean to say, but the way that I've taken it, it has hurt me in church. Families get hurt in church. Ministers get hurt in church. It don't matter whether you're from the stage all the way back to the sound room. Somebody somewhere were humans. And the bigger the church is, the more opportunity for it to hurt your feelings. You say, well, Brother Brandon, that's why I don't go to a big church. Well, vice versa, the smaller the church, the greater the hurt is because you're family. We're right on the borderline here. I know Sunday mornings is kind of packed like cardboard, but we're kind of on the borderline of, of, of a, not a, a mega church by no means, but we're much greater than a, than a tiny church tonight. I know pastors that pastor 50 and 40 people that God's blessing them with, and we're kind of over that threshold. So we're kind of in the middle of having a lot of people and not knowing everything that's going on in everybody's life, but also, also being connected enough that when things do go on, the ripple affects everybody in the church. My boys were to do something tonight and fall out in sin, it would affect this church. Especially if I, Brother Brown, or Brother Evan, or someone of leadership would, would do something, it's going to affect this church. Brother Brandon, what do you mean by that? I have a right to hold a grudge. That's truth number one, and more than likely you do. Now, I'm going to go back to that. Don't fall off the wagon tonight and say, Brother Brandon said, I can hate somebody because I've got a right to. No. Number two, not only do I have a right to hold a grudge, but I also hear this, Brother Evan, often when dealing with someone about a bitterness or dealing with someone that has fault in their life, they don't deserve my forgiveness. And you're probably right again. We probably are. These people, Brother Peter, that's done stuff to me or to my family or to someone else, or maybe you or your family, and, and they have no remorse, they have no regret, they have no action or even twinkling of an eye of asking for my forgiveness and I could look and say God I can't live in verse 25 and verse 26 I can't forgive them because they do not deserve my forgiveness and brother Brandon's eyes you may have a valid point in saying that but I said earlier that almost will never be enough so you got there's got to be more to it than that because you may have a valid point but there's also some biblical examples of people that had valid points and had valid rights Yet they chose to forgive like Christ commands us to in Mark chapter number 11. Brother Brandon, where do you see that at? And you can stay in Mark chapter number 11, but I, don't, I want to give you facts. And that's what we're doing over the next couple of weeks together is learning some absolutes, not by Brother Brandon's convictions, 
You can't leave here saying, well, Brother Brandon, his conviction is that I should forgive someone. No, I want to show you in the Bible that God says to forgive. Obviously, we can go through all kinds of scriptures, and it's amazing what gets me every time. Brother Leroy is when I get to the part and I say, you know what, why should I forgive? About every word God talks about forgiveness, the phrase, as Christ also forgave you, is right behind it. That gets me every time. Like Brother Brian saying, think before you talk. Miss Christie, she's not in here. She went out to smoke or something. I don't know. I'm just kidding. She went on what she's doing. But, but she said this. Forgive me, Peyton, that I said that. But, but I, I, you know, she says, I get to the part where it says, is it necessary? And it gets me every time. And I say, well, Miss Christie, I don't know what to tell you. She wants to blast me. And she says, I get to the part ready to tell you something. And then Brother Brian's message comes back and says, is it necessary? And I let you off the hook. And I thank our pastor every week for saying, is it necessary to get me off the hook? But I think about it in our scriptures, every time we talk about, we talked about this morning, God never sends judgment without a Savior, without a way out. But he never talks about forgiveness without first reminding us, hey, they may not deserve it, but neither did you, neither did I. And it gets me every single time. I think about back though in Genesis chapter number 27, you do not have to turn there. There is a robbery in Genesis chapter number 27, a flat out robbery. We meet Jacob and Esau for the first time in our scriptures, and many of you know exactly what I'm fixing to say, and I'm going to give you the cliff notes of it because we're not going to take time tonight to go through it, and it's not necessary to prove this point, but the ending of it is Genesis 27, Brother Evan talks about a robbery. Something was deceitfully stolen. Now, you can argue and say, no, 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 Brother Brandon, it was not a robbery because Esau gave it willingly. You can't tell me that Jacob, the Bible even calls him a trickster, even later in his life and the mess that he causes, he tricked his brother, he took advantage of his brother into giving him his birthright, which in his right mind and his right spirit and in his right stomach, I know he was hungry and you can read the story yourself, but there's no way that he did everything right call it a gray area we call it we call it something in our life to where it, it, it may have been borderline legal but it was right on the line and that night Jacob tricked his brother and stole Esau's birthright and in Genesis chapter number 27 and it caused a strife it caused a, a a division in the family that would never that would for generations upon generations destroy this family we know that the outfall and the sin that came from this just as Lot and his family just as Noah just as all the sinfulness of man just as in my family there's a tumble we there is a snowball effect when we see someone disobeying but in 27 of Genesis Genesis 27 there is a robbery Jacob stole manipulated Esau into his birthright but you fast forward to Genesis chapter number 32 and here comes Jacob back on the scene and he's going back to meet Esau now Jacob and you read the Bible this is where Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord and you know the story he changes his name here and he said I will not let you go there's a lot that happens that I'm skipping tonight but the main point of the message is this, Jacob was scared to death, scared to death to go back and meet Esau. The Bible said he feared it. Even says, really, if you read into this, he sent the women first. I mean, listen, that's like me going into the dark and saying, Miss Christy, you got this. Just, if, you do, if nothing eats you, I'm right, I got you back. Many times that happens in our life, don't it? We send someone else in front. I mean, we're walking with a group of people, and I'm like, Petey, lead. Come on, you, you got it. It's all right. If you, if, if you don't die doing this, the rest of us will try it. I watched Petey and Miss Caitlin uh, do that swing in Tennessee on that big old chain. I mean, if it had let go, they'd lived, they would have landed in Virginia, I think. And I thought it, when I went back and watched the video, I thought it was Miss Caitlin screaming, but it's not. It's Petey screaming in the video. I mean, Caitlin's manning up, and Petey sounds, he sounds like the girl of the relationship. And he, man, he is there swinging out. And I'm thinking, first I thought, maybe if they do it, then I want to do it. But when I seen them come down, I said, they have lost their mind. I am not doing it. No way. You can call me a chicken. You can call me a girl. You can paint my, whatever you want to do. I am not doing it. 
Not getting on it. Do not trust it. Major trust issue. My purpose in saying that is this. There was a fear that Jacob just could not get over. And he wrestled with the Lord. And then in verse 33, Jacob meets Esau. And Jacob lifted up his eyes in verse number 1 and looked. And behold, Esau came. And with 400 men, they divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and to the twelve and to the two handmaids. And it goes all down in verse number 4. And notice this. And Esau ran to meet him. He's got his sword drove. No. Esau ran to meet him. He's ready to cut his throat off. No, and that's what Jacob thought. But the Bible says that Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck. And he kissed him and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes. It goes on to say on down in the scriptures here that, that even Esau began to say, in verse number 15, Esau said, let now that, that, that now leave with thee some of the flock that are with me. He gave him something that belonged to him. Now, hold on a minute, Brother Dalton. How in the world does someone go from having every reason to say, man, I ought to hate this person, and I ought to, I ought, this person ought to be never ask, they should never get my forgiveness. I'm going to die with this. I'm not forgiving him. Matter of fact, if I ever see him again, Brother George, I'm going to kill him to all of a sudden and when he sees him, he embraces him, and then he gives him more stuff that he didn't deserve. Blows my mind. But then I think back to Calvary and what Christ did for us and how we literally, I wasn't there, but you say, Brother Brandon, I wasn't the one that drove nails in his hand. I wasn't the one that spit on him. I wasn't the one that done that. My sin and your sin caused every bit of what he went through that day on Calvary. His first response, if we illustrate in the Easter play, is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So forgiveness can be found when it was not deserving in the story of Jacob and Esau. Verse number 4 and verse number 9, I encourage you to go back and watch that. He didn't deserve that. He was scared because he knew he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. I go back to the truths about forgiveness. They don't, I, des, I have every right to have a grudge. They have, I have every right to hold, withhold my forgiveness. Jacob did, or Esau did, but he gave it. Then probably the greatest example, and I'll move quickly. This is the second one in the last biblical example we'll look at tonight. But the greatest example of forgiveness in the Bible, you know this and I know this, is the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers literally multiple times tried to ruin his life. You talk about a guy having a bad day. Now, I know Job is probably one of the worst days on earth and, and the story of him losing everything and him never knowing why God did that. But think about Joseph's life. You don't have to turn there. But Joseph, literally, his life went from having a coat of many colors, being loved by his father, prophesying and telling dreams. He went first to the hole, then he went to the house of Potiphar, then he went to the prison, then he finally ended up in the palace. And even though he was in the palace, I didn't worry whether he desired to be in his life. But you know, every time when I preach that story, I bet I've preached it a thousand times to young people, Miss Janet, but every time the, the, the moral of the story is this, no matter what situation Joseph was in, he always honored Christ from the very beginning. Now, if I'd been put in that hole when I got out, I'd have come out swinging because I didn't deserve for the Malachi to be in that hole. Then I get sold into slavery, and I'm begging my case, saying I'm not really a slave, and nobody's listening to me. It's like someone saying I'm innocent when everybody in the world says that they're innocent. But all of a sudden, he gets sold into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house. He exalts the Lord. He magnifies the Lord. He gets put into position. Then that wicked woman lies about him and tries to do things with him that she shouldn't be doing. Brother Wayne, we've talked. He left his coat, and he kept his character. He got out of there only to be thrown into prison because they believed her. Then in prison, he prophesied a dream with the butler and the baker, and all of a sudden, and one of them dies just like he prophesies and the other one leaves and forgets him has every right to be bitter has every right to hold a grudge has every right brother james the bible says though at the end of his life in genesis chapter number 50 genesis chapter number 50 
His brothers, you know the story, they've come back on the scene. There's a famine. God had him right where they needed to be. Verse number 15, the Bible says that when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will providentially hate us and will certainly requit us of all the evil which we did unto him. Sounds familiar as in Genesis chapter number 30, some right with East Jacob and Esau. They're fearing for their life. But when they come before him in verse 20, but as for you, Jacob, uh, Joseph is addressing his brothers, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it good unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day and to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you, you and your little ones, and comfort them and speak kindly unto them. Brother Petey, I don't get it. How in the world can forgiveness be given to somebody that is undeserving? This morning I preached on forgiveness and salvation, and the story is the same. Jesus Christ had every reason to hate us, had every reason to want us to never be in fellowship again. But he forgave me when I was not worthy of forgiving. Now, I'll give you two biblical examples just to prove that I'm not preaching a fictional message tonight. And I'm going to draw it close in just a second. But I'm not preaching a fictional message tonight. But I'm, pre I'm preaching facts tonight that almost will never be enough. I can't go to heaven saying I almost got saved. And I can't leave out of this world or live with peace and in the sight of God and in the harmony of God with Miss Linda saying I almost said I'm sorry. Almost with the intentions of saying I'm sorry does nothing at the end of life. Almost living years and years and years with things. I'm talking about family things and church things, and I don't know anything that's going on, and I hope everybody's in harmony. Say, Brother Brandon, we're good. But I promise you somewhere in your life someone's going to hurt you, and you're going to have every right in your world to hate that person. But can I encourage you tonight, by the authority of the Word of God, it is important to realize, to say those words, I'm sorry. I give you some biblical examples, and it's just 10 till 7. I promise you I'll be done early enough that everybody's going to think you'll skip church when you get to the restaurant tonight because you're there so early. But I give you some biblical examples, but tonight, and I know some of my family goes here and they're watching tonight, and to be honest with you, uh, this story has been told to our young people many, many times, but um, best that, the best way I can connect with them, Miss Janet, is to tell them personal stories of myself. They know things, but this, this group hadn't quite got there yet, but Carson and Kylie and and the nuns and some others, you know things about me that my parents don't even know because I'll get real with them because if I'm not willing to get real with them, they're not going to get real with me. There's things you say, Brother Brandon, what do they know? Well, they're sworn to secrecy. They'll tell you in a heartbeat probably, but, but they're sworn to secrecy. Just offer them a sucker or a, or a gift card to Longhorn. They'll spill their guts. But I think about back in my family, and, and you know, many of you know my family, and I love my grandparents. I have some of the greatest grandparents in the world, and they love me. My grandma, uh, she surprised me. It's the first time my grandma has been physically able to come to church probably in five years, maybe longer than that. When she rolled in that night, I said, man, something big's going to happen tonight because Toby Manhoy is in the building. She's probably listening now, going to kill me. She was listening to this morning, but she didn't encourage me. She'll call me on Sunday mornings. I think something's wrong. She's just weeping. And she tells me how much she appreciated the message. And when Brother Brian's preaching or whatever, she loves this church. She loves the fruit baskets from this church. And I love her to death. But our family is not perfect. Y'all know my family. You know my dad. You know we're not perfect. But, but I, I think back, and I wasn't there. My uncle and my, and my aunt and my cousin, they go here now. But I was brought up, and uh, we went to church. And uh, Malachi, you know this story. Engaged as well. And I'm not telling it bragging, nor am I telling it to shame my family. But... My grandpa and grandma, everything hadn't always been kosher. I'm talking about forgiveness tonight. I give you some biblical examples, but this is a personal example. My dad and my uncle that sits there every Sunday morning with 12-year-old boys. My dad was 12, and he watched my grandpa for the last time walk out the door, walk up the road to leave my grandma for another woman. And that's real life. 
and um, and that they hated him. Bitterness set in, and I can't. You say, but Brandon, did they have a reason? Yeah, they had a reason. Ruined their family, lost the farm, all the tractors, all the animals. I could have been a farmer. I'd have been broke, but I could have been a farmer in my life. I don't want to farm. I've done tobacco at Leroy one time, and I never wanted to go back again. That's all I, I wanted to do. This, this ain't for me. I don't know what God's going to do with my life, but this is not God's will for my life to farm. But he walked out that night. Now, I'm talking about years and years and years, and it was so bad. When I was little, we used to have to have two birthday parties. Now, when I was little, it didn't bother me because that's two cakes, double presents. I didn't know why we had two birthday parties. We had two birthday parties because if they was in the same room, it wasn't going to end well. Hatred, bitterness, rightfully so. It wasn't until many years later down the road, my dad was already uh, at Peace Haven. Rodney was at Peace Haven. My grandma was at Peace Haven. We were serving there, and our brother Bruce, Brother Hazlip was the youth pastor there at that time. And my dad and my Uncle Rodney, they just got something in their heart and got burdened for my grandpa. Dalton, they said, this, is, this ain't going to be normal, and this ain't going to be easy. But they went down to Pudding Ridge Road. He works on, on small engines. He has a small company there. He worked at Ingersoll, and he worked there. And they walked in that shop, and I could almost visually put myself being there. And he was working, never stopped working. And they looked at him, and they said, listen, they said, we want you, we forgive you, we want you to forgive us. Never stopped working. We're sorry that we've had bitterness in our heart all of our life. And that was it. There was no a magical boom. There was no kumbaya around a campfire. They just said, we want you to know that we're sorry for treating you the way that we've tra- treated you. It wasn't long after that, Miss Elena, that my grandpa, and uh, they were married. Obviously, my new grandparents were married long before I was born, so they're just as special to me as real grandparents. But Miss Mary, it wasn't long after that that my grandpa told my grandma Elizabeth, he said, I want to go to church. And she'd been trying Malachi to get Papa Aldine in church forever. I mean, she didn't care if it had been a Catholic church, Presbyterian church, a snake handling church, any kind of church. Just go to church. And I say that jokingly, and he said, I want to go where Keith and him go. They wouldn't be one problem with that. My grandma went to church there. He says, I don't care. That's where I want to go. So they went on the pew there at Peace Haven on the right-hand side. they got chairs now, but they used to have pews, a long pew. And it was my dad, my grandpa and them. I was in the middle my other grandpa on this side, and for weeks, I mean, you sit on edge thinking, this is fixing to explode. We're going to have a church split, and my family is going to be the dynamite that happens to make it happen. Nothing happened. Wasn't long after that, Brother Petey, and I'm paraphrasing to get to the end of the story, that one Sunday morning, I was a little boy. I was still laying across the pew going to sleep, and my game was how fast could I go to sleep in somebody's lap when church was going on. That's how I was good. Just put me to sleep. And don't do that, by the way. But I felt my grandpa come by me and nudge me and go to the altar, and that morning he got saved. And God changed his life. Now, he's not perfect. He is stubborn as a mule. He'll die smoking a cigarette. He's on oxygen and smoking and everything you say not to do. And this is how he goes to the hospital. He goes to the hospital. He'll tell them, you've got two hours to fix me or I'm putting my blue jeans on and I'm walking out the door. And he does it every single time. So he is not a wise man. But he's a saved man by his testimony because two people gave somebody forgiveness that did not deserve it. And now my grandpa is going to be in heaven because of that. But the brand, that's not a big deal. It's a big deal to my family. Now, at birthday parties, they sit together and they talk. Now, at birthday parties, they sit together and they fellowship. My boys have never had to witness that, and I don't remember much about it, Brother Dalton, because somebody forgave somebody that did not deserve it. i tell you that, and i tell you this last one if we're closing in just a second. We're talking about forgiveness, and I'll give you something, and we're, we're going to close in just a minute. We'll be out of here by 7 o'clock, I promise. Not only you say, well, Brother Brandon, you shouldn't talk about your grandpa like that. Let me tell you, he knows I love him, and he knows that story is true, and that's his testimony. Let me tell you, you say, Brother Brandon, he might be ashamed of that. Well, he may be ashamed of that, but he knows if he, if he would give me permission tonight to change somebody else's life and to fix someone else's heart, 
I promise you, he'd say, go ahead and do it. And if I've got to embarrass myself, Brother Matt, to get somebody else to heaven, go ahead and embarrass me away. But there was a time in my life, Brother Josh, that I wasn't wearing a certain certain tie. There was a time in my life, Brother Dalton, you were there that time in my life. Your daughter was there, and she went through that. But there was a time in my life where I didn't deserve forgiveness. There was a time in my life to where I wanted to run as fast as I could run. God was calling me to preach. I didn't know it at that time, but Miss Mary, I was running as far away as I could run. I didn't want to be a part of church. I didn't want anything to do with church. I remember vividly, I'll tell you how bad it was, Brother, Brother Kevin, and I'm just bashing myself tonight. My mom and dad, well, my favorite group growing up was the Rochesters, the original Rochesters, Ben. My mom and dad paid thousands and thousands of dollars because their church couldn't afford it. And when I graduated on my senior Sunday graduation to get them to come to church to sing, let me tell you what happened in my life. I was so miserable, and I was going to the beach right after that, places I shouldn't have been. But they had them. Instead of staying and fellowshipping and thanking my parents, I literally started the car with a remote after church to make sure that I could get out because people were waiting on me at Bojangles and Clemens, waiting on me to drive them to the beach. And here my family spent thousands of dollars to watch the Rochester sing, and I left Malachi just like that. Miserable. Whatever my dad said to do it, I would do the opposite as fast as I could do it. Petey, is whatever my mom wanted, I would do the opposite as fast as I could do it. And until a guy got a hold of my life and I broke down and Miss Christie was in my life, she was a faithful friend, even we weren't dating, and we began to date again. And God broke me down. Brother Tim Green was preaching that night when God set your field on fire. Many of you know the story Brother Brian talks about the foxtails and when God set your tails on the fire. Well, he hit home to me many years before that. And he said, God's going to set your fields on fire. And I remember leaving that night. I remember surrendering my life to Christ on the altar. I remember everything around me. Miss Christie was in my life at that point, And God had finally got me to a place that I couldn't take anymore. And I wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. Brother Allen, you'll remember this. I left that church that night, and the first person I called was Brother Allen Davis. When he picked up, I didn't say, how's Carson? How's Caitlin? How's anybody else? I simply said, I need you to forgive me for not being what I should have been when I was in your youth group. Now, I don't remember what he said, but I'm pretty sure it caught him off guard, Miss Caitlin, because in his mind, maybe I didn't have anything to apologize for. I was just being a teenager, getting on his nerves, driving them nervous. But I knew in my heart that I could have had a bigger impact at this church if I had given my heart to Christ right then. You say, Brother Brandon, why is that a big deal? I believe with all my heart, had I not called and apologized to him, had God not got a hold of my heart and me got forgiveness when I didn't deserve it, I would not be your youth pastor today. And it takes me getting over pride and saying, I'm sorry for something that I did to somebody that means the world to me. Brother Brandon, your grandpa, you, Joseph, Esau, and Jacob, that all sounds great, but can I tell you, all I'm trying to do tonight is prove a point of saying this, the word almost does not fit in the sentence with I almost got saved, and the word almost does not fit in the sentence where it says I almost said I was sorry. If you knew the families tonight that were leaving out of here, that were miserable, that could have anything, if they could have one wish, it would be for somebody to come back that's already crossed over, that's already in heaven, or already wherever, and have one more opportunity to say, I'm sorry. It changed their life. It would fix so many family meals. Thanksgiving would taste so different. And I don't know about your business tonight, but I know about this. We're, you're in a prime spot to get your feelings hurt being a Christian because the whole world wants you to fall, and they're watching, and they're going to say something that's going to cause you to fall. I want to leave you with a few statements here. Miss Savannah, go ahead and come to the piano because I'm going to give these things to you really quick, and we're going to be gone. I thought about things that the word... That, that guaranteed truths that saying I'm sorry will do. Saying, I, saying I'm sorry will unlock, Brother Hoyt, certain things in your life. That's the only word that'll unlock it. 
It could be to a family member. It could be somebody else. But think about this. If you want to write them down, you can. If you want me to give them to you later, I will. But saying I'm sorry, number one, will restore fellowship. Just simply the words, I'm sorry, will give you a fellowship back with your fellow Christian. Just saying I'm sorry. Whether you're the one that done it or whether they're the one done it, it'll give fellowship back. It'll not only restore fellowship, but number two, it'll also rekindle relationships. You don't believe me. And Brother Evan, you tick her off, and she's probably highly, what's the word? Is moody a good word right now? Not Probably not, but she's highly pregnant. Let's put it that way. And it ain't going to take much to light a fuse. And you got to go home with her. So if she's mad at me about that, she's going to take it out on you. But rekindling that relationship, Brother Evan coming home with flowers or something or doing something for her, and it, it rekindles that, and all of a sudden for about 10 minutes, he is her favorite person again. And then 10 minutes later, it's all over again. But I, I think about saying I'm sorry will not only restore fellowship, it'll rekindle relationships. But number three, it'll reinforce foundations. You know what holds our church together? Our, Bible, our, our preacher says it all the time, preaching and harmony. When there's no harmony, there is a crack in the foundation. Can I tell you, a war is coming to East Bend, North Carolina. It's already here. You say, Brother, Brandon, Brother Brian said the other day, there's not many Methodist churches being built. There's not many Baptist churches being built. But I can tell you what is being built. And it's places that call themselves a church that are not a church. And before you know it, they're going to be here. Brother Brandon, what are we going to do? I want to make sure that I've got a foundation that's going to hold these little ones here. Brother Brandon, are we at war? I'm not pulling guns or I'm not pulling knives. But I'm not going to let somebody that, that, that's fake and somebody that's wanting something different take what God's given us here at Faith Community Baptist Church. Why is that? Saying I'm sorry will strengthen our foundation. Number four, not only will it restore fellowship, rekindle relationships, reinforce foundations, but the words I'm sorry will reduce regret. How many people you know today, then they start thinking about it, they go back to time, they have, they have regrets. People forgave them, but they cannot get it out of their mind because it is easy to forgive, it is impossible to forget. But saying I'm sorry will ease that regret. Saying I'm sorry in time will ease that regret. I'm not guaranteed that I'll ever see Miss Maddie or Miss Kiera again. And if I've done something to them, and I don't think I have, but if I have, I need to say I'm sorry tonight so that if we don't meet again, they know that I was sorry. And then lastly, not only will it reduce regret, but it also reestablish communication. And by the way, that gets us back to Mark chapter number 11 because that prayer is a prayer of faith. And if we want God to hear our prayers, the Bible says we must forgive as he's forgiven us. I give you two truths as she's starting to play. Brother Brandon, I have a right to hold a grudge. Probably do. Brother Brandon, I have a right. They, they do not deserve my forgiveness. You're probably right. But I've tried my best tonight through the story of Jacob and Esau, through the story of Joseph, through the story of Aldine, through the story of Brandon. And I can sit here tonight and tell you all the wrongs I've done. And if that helps you get forgiveness, I'll tell you everything that I've done without apology because I'm telling you, I'm past the point of being too proud to say I'm sorry in order for God to move and to help our church get to the next level. I promise you, those two words, I'm sorry, can never be in the same sentence with the word almost. We're standing tonight, every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe tonight you say, but the Brandon, they're here. Maybe tonight they're here. you got to make a phone call. Maybe tonight everything's okay with everybody in your life. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's an old boss. Maybe it's somebody in your life you've done wrong. Maybe they've done you wrong. I wonder what it would happen tonight if you'd call them and say simply, I'm sorry what's happened in our life and I want you to forgive me Lord we thank you tonight for loving us thank you for Miss Savannah as she begins to play I thank you God for helping me in my heart God I am not perfect I am not perfect God but I never want to be too proud to say I'm sorry I never want to get to the end of my life and say God I almost said I was sorry I'm thankful I've already taken care of the almost and salvation but 
every day I battle with saying I'm sorry. And one day it will be too late. May we never forget that it's never going to work. Life is too short to say I'm sorry too late. Miss Savannah's singing. Miss Savannah's playing. You mind the Lord tonight. Contemplate where you are. My sleep is gone. My heart is full of sorrow. I can't believe how much I've let you down. I dread the pain that waits for me tomorrow. When the sun reveals my broken dreams, scattered on the ground, please. Forgive me. I need your grace to make it through. All I have is you. I'm at your mercy. Lord, I'll serve you until my dying day. Help others find the way at your mercy. Hello friends, this is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat-and-meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. For the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, and good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2 
The Bible said, therefore, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.